author and art writer Megan Dunn is talking today about artworks that can be often hidden in plain sight. Uh, there's Wellington's Bucket Fountain, which could never be hidden. Uh, <laughs> to lose Summer's maternal nudes. Uh, public art, we're often unaware of it. We take it for granted or we don't see it. Uh, kia ora, Megan. Kia ora, Kim. Um, there's a new thing mm. called Public Art Heritage Aotearoa New Zealand, or PAHANS, mm. which is dedicated to creating, has created, in fact, a register. Yes. <clears throat> it's a rather wonderful resource which has just gone live, I think, in July. And it's a research initiative set up by co-directors Dr Bronwyn Holloway-Smith and Sue Elliott. Sue Elliott is also involved with Wellington Sculpture Trust. She's the chair of it, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so what they have done is look, they've created a register of works in public spaces, public artworks intended to be placed in public space between between 1900 and 1999 and what they found that it kind of came out of some earlier work that Bron was, Bronwyn was doing around E. Mervyn Taylor the artist and she put out a book called Wanted about E. Mervyn Taylor's work in public sites The Missing Murals Yeah, The Missing Murals Yeah, 12 murals were made only 8 remain and it just I think, I think she actually just started getting people suggesting other artworks to her in public space What's happened to this? What's the story behind Behind this, and so what they've done together is put together this impressive catalogue listing all of the public art around the country made in the 20th century. Currently, there's under um, there's under 400 works online, but there's another 900 docking in their knowledge that people have brought to their attention or that they've found. They've had initial funding, you know, some of it from the some of it from Massey University, by the sounds of things, and some from the Ministry of um, Culture and Heritage. But you know, they're now a charitable. Uh, organisation looking looking for help making the social history of New Zealand through public art. So do they want people to suggest things to go on the register? Or yeah. is the register, because I know they travelled around. Yeah, yeah, they did. So is the register there just for information purposes or background information? What? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. And I think it's like, you, you, you know, a public artwork can be outside like a huge rock and you think it's just going to be there forever. And then actually, over time, knowledge about it erodes. The people who put it there pass away. It's surprising how many gaps there can be in knowledge around public works. I think it's no surprise that Bronwyn, as an artist, she jokes she's become an accidental art historian, but really she's an artist herself, is part of this force tending for these works that often didn't come under policy either. One of the things I found fascinating was that, you know, policy around public art really only starts in the 80s and 90s in a big way. So I put Lou Summers, the Christchurch artist, a, by all accounts a larger-than-life figure, who made a lot of pum public art um, and was well-known in Christchurch. I put maternity in the gallery because I, I do love it, you know, the image of the mother crouched over with two children looking out either side side of her lap. I mean, you could think it's a maternal cliché. Uh, personally, I embrace that cliché. But also, Lou was very gung-ho. Christchurch Council didn't want this artwork. He was apparently known in the 70s for guerrilla-like tactics of putting these works on tr his truck and then coming and putting them in public space. So maternity arrived 
um, unwanted, <laughs> as an unwanted pregnancy outside Christchurch Cathedral where it was for a couple of months before finally it now has a home in Upper Hut where it's been for some time outside the station. It's no small feat to move that around, I imagine. People can see it on our webpage as they can others. And I see the Bronwyn Holloway-Smith and child is standing next to it yes, in the photo, yes. which is a nice touch. She did say to me, I like to think of it as a monolithic tribute to the weight of parenting maternity, but perhaps it's just reinforcing gender stereotypes. Yeah, well, there is that debate. Yeah. Um, F.A. Jones, Yes. you have a picture of the Aotearoa Waka Memorial. This is the oldest one on the register, I think. Yeah, this is from 1933. And I guess this is where we get into into social history and into what public sculpture can do, what people want it to do, how it acts as a memorial um, or signs of place. So I I didn't know anything about the Aotea Waka Memorial. I've never seen it before in person. But it's made to to commemorate the navigator Turi and his hapu, his wife, Rongo Rongo, um, and their voice voyage from Hawaii to Aotearoa. Um, and it looks like, you know, often these works are quite collaboratively made. So Jones is the stonemason who makes it. Apparently when it was first um, installed in 1933, there were four figures um, in the in the canoe. There's now more than that. But I think it's Pānui Hauranga who was a project coordinator who kind of carries the local knowledge that supports the making of, of this piece. And it has a couple of one in English, um, one in Toreo, and the plaque reads, This is a token of remembrance erected by the descendants living throughout Aotearoa of their ancestors Turi and Rongorongo, their family and fellow voyagers. Um, I guess I was interested to know what the public think or what the listeners think great works of public art are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're looking today at many... You mean examples or yeah. what the function of them is? Yeah, what the function and specific yeah, examples, yeah. even more, even yep, yep. more so. Yeah. Um, one of the pictures is um, from a piece of art in McDonald's in Rotorua. Oh, yeah. Which is an unusual um, place to find art, I'm well, guessing. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Rotorua, and it's probably my first real memory of art in public space is those panels. I had no idea who made them, but I always felt that disjunct. I mean, you know, probably too, when I was in Rotorua and that McDonald's in the 90s or late 80s, there would have been a big plastic Ronald McDonald figure in there. Yeah. There were two clashing narratives there. Um, and yet it's incredibly special. Tuti Tukaukau is the um, artist who was commissioned to make those. I imagine the owners of the franchise then, that particular store, might have commissioned the panels. So there's three po, five murals, and seven kawhaiwhai panels in there. They're kind of fantastic, aren't they? (laughs) They are fantastic. And I mean, they're they're big, you know, mythological stories, Hatu Patu and the Bird Woman, one of my favourite Maori myths, but also the eruption of Mount Tarawera is in there, and I do remember that looming large as a story when I lived in Rotorua and especially a, a really interesting story about tourism because of the meeting house um, that was lost in the eruption which had gold sovereigns even back then in the eyes of the uh-huh. carvings because of the you know the pink and white terraces. So I, I do remember just knowing a little bit about that and finding that very captivating. Apparently the carver's great-grandmother was killed in the Tarawera eruption. And I think, you know, Bron, Bronwyn, when I talked to her, a 
about the site and the work they're doing said, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of great example of postmodernism finding Maori carvings in a McDonald's in Rotorua. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, that's the point of public art, isn't it? To, to be where people are. Rather than for the people to have to go to a special place and see it. Yeah, and that's why you can often not think about what's in your... I mean, some some works are hard to ignore, the bucket fountain, per chance. Mm -hmm. But other other works can kind of slip into the background and people aren't necessarily thinking about them. Their upkeep, um, the upkeep of public artworks is part of of the remit of councils now. And some works are in public buildings that are then sold and the work itself is very close to lost, like E. Mervyn Taylor's Time and Space, that wonderful zodiac um, wood carving, um, which is apparently also meant to um, depict radio waves penetrating the heavens. <laughs> and that, <laughs> in case you didn't know, Kim, but that I believe is in the boardroom here now at RNZ, but was a, originally commissioned for Broadcasting House in Wellington that um, is, is since defunct, or, you know, I think there was a fire, there was uh, you know, the the work could have been lost, but it was saved. I don't think there was a fire, they just knocked it down. Oh, is that what they did? Okay. Much, much to everybody's dismay, they knocked it down to build something. And it oh. seems like the Ministry of Works, now defunct as well, were very involved in commissioning a lot of work. Like Bronwyn has a lot of heart for, you know, socialist artworks, which I suppose some of E. Mervyn Taylor's murals might, you know, might play into that ethos, where there are ideas about community and public Good. There's another beautiful um, work of um, Mervyn Taylor's in the um, Image Gallery, Least We Forget, which is in the Masterton, um, in Masterton, uh, a war, war memorial. memorial. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Bucket Fountain is something that's always been around and people, you know, laugh fondly at it. Yes. But who made it? Well, this is made, I mean, this is this gets to the close intersection of public art and architecture. Burren and Keane and Graham Allardis, I think I might be pronouncing that right, were um, the architects who worked on Cuba Mall. So when Cuba Mall is... Oh, came to, part and parcel with the mall. Yeah, it came right. part and parcel with the mall in 69 and was originally going to be a temporary feature. Apparently in the beginning, all of the buckets were yellow. They weren't the multicoloured kind of little festival today. Mm. I walked past the bucket fountain just before it was wearing a giant orange cone on its head you know like true public art really becomes embraced in all sorts of ways so the bucket fountain has its mythology for being soap suds poured into it and for you know people urinating at it people yes. pissing in it like um, Justin Patton the art writer and curator said to me he nominated Bucket Fountain and said content and incontinence in New Zealand sculpture mm. but seriously its spillage is a good rebuke to house and plaza trained public sculpture and Frodo Elijah Wood went on Jay Leno and one of his memories of Wellington was the Bucket Fountain which he said didn't work and yes I, th- I don't think he was very kind about it I think he was trying to be amusing. Oh, was he? But it's funny how, you know, something like that does become a marker of place to someone, you know. So I I think the way that uh, public sculpture evokes place and different memories and ideas about nationhood and regions is interesting. Um, You've got a photo of a Cromwell fruit sculpture, (laughs) which is not on 
the Public Heritage well, website it, register? It could be one of the 900 works docking, but I suspect it isn't. I mean, I asked you know a bunch of artists on social media what they would recommend, and the painter Imogen Taylor said she recommended the Cromwell fruit sculpture as her favourite work at public art. And I said, seriously? And she said, yes, seriously. It was made by Otto Mueller, then involved in a rotary club, a local rotary club. He was secretary. He was obviously a local horticulturist as well, I believe. He successfully grew walnuts too, and he made these large fruit as a symbol of the importance of fruit growing to the region. Yeah, pretty fabulous. Imogen took something completely kind of different from it and, you know, saw echoes of the painter Francis Hodgkins in the forms and also liked the way they sat above the landscape but didn't deter from it. You know, Mueller made it so people could see it through their car window. That was, you know, motorists could see it. But yeah, I mean, Bronwyn said that Awakuni carrot is not on the site because it was made as advertising, specifically as advertising. Oh, so I, the LMP bottle wouldn't be on there either. Yeah, but I, I think there is a lineage here, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And the Cromwell um, fruit is on the slippery slope in that lineage. Yeah, <laughs> slippery, fruity slope. Mm. Um, Art Therapy by Jackie Browring is an essay that you reference mm. um, because she said, as a landscape architect, I'm interested in public spaces, how they're a mirror of culture, including how statues are so potent in their weighty symbolism. And I suppose we can look at at examples of all that on our webpage. Have you got a favourite? Have I got a favourite? I think I do. I do have a soft spot for Fallen Robot, which is outside the Douse um, in Lower Hutt. Yes, I know. Yeah, it's a big Ronnie Van Hout um, sculpture. I think Ronnie is unusually good at public sculpture. Like It often works, the scale, scaling up. So Fallen Robot is lying down. He's in a little bit of water. You can walk over his steel body. He looks a bit like one of those mechanical toys. Sorry I didn't put him on the website. But he has human teeth in his little mouth so I've you know well not real human teeth casts of them so it kind of looks a bit you know funny but freaky Mm. I think now he could be a warning about AI yeah well that's the thing about art if it's very good it morphs into the need for it yes you see what I mean yes you keep on getting echoes from it Ah. I'm I mean, the issue about public um, memorials and monuments is quite volcanic, and that's something that Jackie talks about in her essay, Art Therapy. Um, Art is good for you, she says, but what if it isn't? What if it's art that is causing harm? Not the optional art hidden in hermetically sealed galleries, but the compulsory art, the public art out in the landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a global movement of toppling statues. So art does always represent ideologies. Excellent to talk to you. Thank you, Megan. Megan Dunn. And you can find out more about that register. There's a link to it on our webpage. Uh, Next week, I'll talk to Anna Smale about her new book, Bird Life, and Nonita Reese, who has edited The Diaries of Robert Lord. Enjoy the weekend.